Hey, Bethel Cleveland listeners. We just want to remind you that we've launched a brand new show called the Steve Witt Podcast. Each week, join Steve Witt as he goes further into the word and he offers his unique perspective on the things going on around the world. You don't want to miss this, so check it out. Search Bethel Cleveland on Apple or Spotify Podcasts. Enjoy. Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. Hey, open scripture if you can to Genesis chapter 2. And uh, this is an introduction to a new series. You can see it right up here. This mic's a little bit hot, I think. Uh, It's right up here. Uh, Put a little pasta up there to make you a little hungry as we work into. I've been wanting to do this series for about six months, and it... uh, it came to me sometime in the spring when we were doing the fast. When you're on a fast, you think a lot about food. And uh, I was thinking about food, and I, I realized as I st- was studying through the Bible how God loves the concept and understanding of food. And I thought he surrounds key spiritual events with specific food. I mean, and you go through it real quick. Once you think about it, you go, let's see, his ministry started, you know, his supernatural ministry started with making wine for a wedding. And he was, from what scripture says, it feels like he was a bit reluctant about that, except his mother kind of insisted that he do it. In fact, she just, she just, Really, she just told him what to do and then turned and told everyone else to prepare for what he was about to do. Didn't really ask him, actually, which moms do that, you know. And uh, he knew, he was a good Jewish boy. He knew how to respond to his Jewish mom. And, and he said, uh, okay. He gets up. They start filling up the containers. And sure enough, these six containers, someone says, Tommy Tinney says, it's about 180 gallons, I think. 180 gallons of water that turned into wine. Jimmy Swigert, way back in the 60s, said God looked on the water and smiled and it became wine, you know? So, I mean, it was just this gracious shift and you realize it's on, the game is on now, man. God is on the move. He's about to do amazing things. And then you go through his whole life. I mean, whether it's the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, which he did twice, whether it's the casting your nets over the side, whether it's breaking the bread and drinking the, I mean, we're gonna cover all this over the next six to seven weeks, various things in the scripture, but the key of what I want to bring about is how food is the glue for the body of Christ. It, it holds us together. There's something about when we eat together, that's why the body and the blood of Jesus, which Catholics would say has a supernatural transformation in the moment that it becomes when it goes inside of you, it becomes the body and blood of Jesus. That's called transubstantiation. You've probably heard of it. It's transforming of the elements. You have consubstantiation, which says, hey, we disagree with that. <laughs> that's, what we, that's what most Protestants believe. That it's not supernatural, it's a strict symbol. But in, in, how many of you know in the kingdom world that symbolism and mysticism and the miracles of God all kind of blend together sometimes? That sometimes a place, a thing, whatever you're doing, it becomes supernatural. Even though you've done it a hundred times, all of a sudden, boom, God is on this thing. And there's always something that he's indicating about the kingdom of God. 
Everything that God does when he was on earth was indications, exploration. Jesus was an advanced travel guide to heaven itself. He came to say, this is what heaven is like. This is what heaven tastes like. But the Bible even says, I love that you brought up hunger. I mean, the whole thing of hunger and thirst is obviously about food. But then it, it expounds to so many other things. Some people have hunger, ambition for, for wealth or for marriage or relationships or whatever. And so there's a hunger that stirs in your heart. And it's interesting, starting in the Garden of Eden, how God lays this out and it becomes truly a template for everything we experience in life that there is good and there is evil. And it's demonstrated by food. We think it's the apple. It probably wasn't the apple. In fact, it was probably a thousand years later before that whole concept that it was an apple and a tree. It came from a Latin saying, I forget what it is, manos, manos versus manos or something like that, which, which means uh, uh, apple or apple is evil or, or something. The, the words sound alike in Latin, so that's why they assumed that the word in Latin, I think it was Latin for evil, was the same, very similar to apple. And so, of course, it had to be an apple that they selected. We don't know. Could have been a banana. Could have been Doritos. I don't know. But whatever it was, it was forbidden. It was forbidden. So there was free choice before that moment. But it's interesting. I was reading even this morning about it. The difference is, is that before that happened, there was a, a, a constitution of individuals. There was a propensity to choose what was better and what was good. That's the way it was. This is the first time that it shifted to the propensity of being towards evil. We call it the fall of man. The fall of man was when they, when they reached a moment where another voice sounded better than God and the voice made them think that maybe God was withholding something from them. Now I say that because I think it's in our culture even right now. So the importance of food is clearly as a symbol, and sometimes that symbol can be supernatural as in it was with the Last Supper. So Jesus starts with changing water into wine. He kind of ends with the Passover or the Last Supper and then promises of, of a great supper that we're gonna have in heaven. Uh, and so you say, well, are we gonna eat in heaven? Does the Bible say that? Oh, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, Jesus in his supernatural body, resurrected body, ate. He walked through walls and ate. Where's the science in that? We just haven't discovered it yet. But matter shifted through existing matter and ate. Where did that food go? I'm like, you supernatural? What? You know, I mean, it's on my top 100 list when I get to heaven. Questions. Wait, 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 wait. Now, how? I want to see the video. What, how did that happen when you walked through that wall? How was it that when you, when you broke bread on the road to Emmaus, you remember that? We broke bread. See, he's always breaking bread. He's always catching fish. When you broke bread, everyone recognized who you were. Whatever spiritual scales were on their eyes for the hours that they had just walked with him 
on the road to Emmaus, slip off, and boom, he sees something about the bread. You can argue this, trust me, and I'll get emails this week, but there's something dynamic that Jesus chooses in bread. When he breaks the bread, it's the recognition. Maybe it was when he broke the bread at the Last Supper and these guys recognized it. I don't know, were they there? I don't know. Did Jesus break bread all the time? It was obviously common in our custom. The breaking of bread was just, it's time to eat. We broke bread, but when he broke the bread, it was like, boom, everyone saw who he was. And they, that's when they said, did not our hearts burn within us? And poof, he was gone. Disappeared. He didn't say, sorry, guys. I didn't, didn't realize that was going to happen. I'll get out of here. You know, yes, it's me. You know, he's just gone. And they wondered. They were like, oh, wow. Wow. What did we say that was stupid on the road here? That was Jesus. It was God walking with us. So you see, as you go through Scripture, I don't have time. I, actually, let me just take a second. I, I'm, I, I, I didn't want to get off on this, but I, I think it's important because this is introducing our entire series today. But, I mean, the whole concept of koinonia, I mean, why, think about it, why did Jesus like going to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house? It's the food. He stopped by there all the time. It was what Brunswick is to Cleveland. It was just out of town. Brunswick means, Brunswick means a, a, uh, a, a, a place for weary travelers to rest. It comes from Germany. I've done deep research on it. And it, Brunswick, Brunswick, when you say Brunswick, Brunswick is a place of, of weary people coming in order to be restored for travel. I kind of like that. I think it works. And so there's something about this place and these places that we call Bethel Cleveland where food is going to be an important part of what we do. It was our first year. We basically started this church on food and worship. We should put that in our byline. Where's Josh Taylor? Presence and food. <laughs> we will grow so fast. I mean, we did, we did, okay, we did chili cook-offs. We beat the Cleveland Browns in a chili cook-off. It was about 20, yeah. Yeah, we kept the recipe. We still eat it. In fact, I just had some this past week. We, we won awards. We were award-winning Chili Church. We owned a food truck for like five years and became the number one food truck in the city, according to Cleveland Magazine. Yeah. I think it was out of 52. There's like, there's over 100 now. Uh, but out of 52, and that truck is still being operated out there by a believer. And Jesus, from Journey Church, actually, in uh, Cleveland. So we, the, they got the truck. They're doing great. They're selling all kinds. They get lobster rolls and everything else. But it was food. I started seeing this thread because we ate together every month in the first year. We were doing pizza. We were doing Subways. We were doing Tacos Sunday. We were doing everything we could because we wanted to build the koinonia. There's something supernatural in food. Now, I know that we have so much food that we just, we eat food sometimes without any conscious about it at all. And obviously, that's going to have some problems for us, you know. But God has been working with me on it, saying, look, food is a key part of the New Testament. Food and goodbyes, food and resurrection, fasting and feasting, food and remembrance. All food is connected with all these things. Food, wine, and the company you keep. Food and provision, food and revelation. The fruit of the Spirit. The bread of life. How about this one? I love this one. The bread of his presence. 
So you start going through this and saying, oh, why, why do you pick food so much? Why do you talk about it so much? Well, I think he created it. He loves it. And he knows we will love it too. And so we got to be careful and realize in many ways it is sacred because we are the temple of the Lord. And so what we partake of, this is what this is all about right now, which tree do you partake of? Now, this isn't about physical health, although I'd, I'd love to talk about that. I mean, there are, there are so-called two trees in the garden. You can eat healthy, you can eat clean, uh, you can eat fruitful that's going to actually bring life and energy into you and possibly extend your life. There's debate on that, but possibly do that. I just went to the doctor recently because when we did our uh, um, three days in March, remember March 4th, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, we fasted for three days. During that fast, it was, it was the most graceful fast I've ever done in my life. I just didn't get hungry, which I get hungry pretty easy, but I didn't get hungry. And I realized about two days in, remember we called it Million Little Miracles? I was one of the million little miracles because I've been praying to, uh, to get healthier and you know, I'd had many warning signs, of course, heart problems and had cancer twice, you know, and, and, uh, and I was on the list, uh, I was pre-diabetic, which means my numbers were up and, and if I didn't change something, I would become diabetic. So I got radical during it and I asked for grace. This is so important. Out of Philippians, it says, we have to have the will and the do, the will and the do. And I talk about this often, I don't wanna get into it, but the Holy Spirit actually will give you the will to change. And he'll give you the do. He'll give you the will and the energy to do it. So if you say, oh, I've tried that hundred times, I'm telling you right now, the will and the do is available by the Holy Spirit. That if you are having a problem with food, you can't overcome it. So I lost 22 pounds since uh, March. The Lord gave me a plan. My wife has helped me. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it, you say, yeah, but what does that mean spiritually? I don't know. I cleaned out the temple. I swept out some corners. I did some decluttering. <laughs> and I got more to do, by the way. And, and, it, and if you ever want to talk to me about it, I'll tell you what we did. Maybe it'll help you out too, but that's really not the point of the message. But I'm telling you, he used that. He used that as a point of interest saying, Lord, you are the one that created this. You created the hunger. You created the thirst. You created all this. Lord, you can, you can help me get into a place of greater health. And it, and it pays off. You do feel stronger. You do feel clear. And by the way, they, they, last week, they had, this is why I can say this with authority, they halved my heart medication, which they typically don't do, but because I lost so much weight, I was starting to get a little dizzy, so they had to bring it down. That's the Holy Spirit, the will and the do. And also, my numbers on the pre-diabetic chart came back within one-tenth of a point of, of not being pre-diabetic anymore. So what am I doing? I'm, I'm driving farther. Why? Because I... I think of my grandchildren. I want to live long for my grandchildren. And if I don't live long, I want to live healthy for my grandchildren so that I can run with them, play with them or whatever. So that, that's the temple care. But if that's important to God, which I believe it is, I think that everything in the garden was probably clean and healthy. And he said, of all the trees, let me just read this because it's, it's so powerful. Look here in uh, Genesis 2, look at verse 8 and 9. Food is a symbol of choice. And I'm going to make this quick because I want to talk about choice real quick. Uh, verse 8, it says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. Eden was a real place, I believe. And in fact, ancient texts reference the area between 
the Mesopotamia and the Tigris River in what would be present day, I think, Iraq or Iran, I forget, probably Iraq. Present day Iraq was a place where people tended to live very old. It was the remnants of the Garden of Eden. It was a beautiful place fueled by these two rivers that would flow through it. So it was a real place, but it also becomes immediately a Christian symbol. Just like, just like the cross was a real thing, but it's a symbol. Just like Jerusalem, it's a real thing, but there is also a symbolic Jerusalem. There's the gathering of the people of God, body of Christ. It's real. There's symbolism attached to it. So think that way. And even beyond that, there's prophetic understanding of how it applies in your life. And so the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So we're a little bit late to the story here. He'd already formed the man, puts him in the garden. And he says, and out of the ground, the Lord made every tree grow. So there were multiple trees in the garden, probably thousands. Every would grow, and here's the criteria for these trees. This is important because this is the criteria for every temptation that we have in life. Because since that eating of the apple, every one of you is born into sin, according to Scripture. You are, you are, you are far from God. You're alienated from God, it says in Ephesians. But God, in his rich mercy, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. It's interesting, to cure the apple problem, he sent a sacrificial lamb. I mean, once again, it's all, it's all about food, it's about sacrifice. There's so much in there, obviously, that theologians have been talking about and debating about for centuries, you know. So out of the garden, here it is, every tree would grow, What's the criteria? That is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So everything in the garden was pleasant. God, I, I, we don't talk about this enough, I don't think, at our church, but God is into beauty. He really is. You know, and I, I know, you know, you, some, a taco can look very beautiful from Taco Bell if you're really hungry. But you know, it's in, it's in plastic or it's in paper. It's in a little basket, you know, and you're looking at it and you're crunching through it and you, you forget 10 minutes later what you even ate, you know? So it's different. Like food like that is obviously, and that's probably, I wouldn't even call it foundational food, but it's food. <laughs> it, it, it quenches hunger for a season. So we have that in America. Uh, traditionally, that's not, has not been a mankind for a very long time. We are, we are free enough that we can eat whatever we want and we do. We eat everything we want and everything we see. It's everything that's pleasant to our, our eyes. That's why you cannot stand in front of the refrigerator too long. There's a lot of pleasant in there. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. So it's pleasant to the eyes. It's good for food. And, and then it says the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. So it's a separate tree. There's a bit of debate about that, and, but I'll just leave it there that some people believe the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil are the same tree expressed in different ways. Uh, I'm not sure I trust that or not, but uh, I believe that there were two trees in the middle of the garden. But those trees were surrounded by other trees. So here you go, you have functional trees. They're all throughout the garden. And, and this speaks of the bounty of God. Now, let's say it was a thousand trees. God says, you've got a thousand trees to eat from here. And there's one that will give you life. And there's another one that will give you death. 
So you eat what you want out here. You're eating, you're eating, but you got that. You always see those two trees. They're in the middle of the garden. And it's there for a purpose. You say, why did God do that? Because it's a, it's a chance for the advancement of the soul to choose God over choosing evil. That's what it is. And so the very will of man is something typically God will not override. He gives you your will even if you're making wrong choices. You can do it. You can make the wrong choice. And it's going to be something that's pleasant to your eyes and something that you feel is good for you. Yeah, but you don't know. I met her on the internet. Like we've known each other. It's been a while. I think we're like at 19 days now. We know each other. She's beautiful. Let me show you, Pastor Steve, what she looks like, you know. And whatever she looks like, of course, as a pastor, you say, oh, yeah, she's beautiful. And said, and she's, I just feel she's so good for me. I just feel my life being changed. Now, what do I say to a person like that? Have you been here long enough where you know what I would say? What, what do I say, John? <laughs> 12 months, a year, four seasons. Her name is Jamie. You want to meet the spring Jamie, the summer Jamie, the fall Jamie, and the winter Jamie. Trust me, winter Jamie is different than summer Jamie. It may not be bad, but you got to meet all the Jamies. Hopefully that's not literal or you got other problems there, you know. She's got multiple Jamies there, but... So the tree of life is there. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is there. I don't even know what it really means, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they're, they're intrigued by it. So here's what happens. Verse 15, jump down a little bit. Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. There was work even in a garden. And the Lord God commanded him saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. See that? I love the abundance of God. He, he, he stacks the deck in your favor. One tree, don't touch, don't eat of the one tree. The rest of them, look, look at that over there. You got fresh peaches over there. You got apples over there. You got bananas, whatever, mangoes, whatever it was there. Eat freely of everything you want, but that one tree. You imagine them standing there like, could you repeat that again? I'm gonna make sure I miss it. God probably put a sign out front, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Blinking light. Do not touch, do not eat. Tree of life, eat, eat. Well, it appears they may have eaten of the tree of garden and not eaten, it's inferred that they had not eaten of the tree of life yet. So I don't know how this happened time-wise or anything, but somehow they, they got fixated on what they couldn't have. I know that doesn't happen to you, but it's happened to me once or twice and and the Lord commanded, say, every tree you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Everyone say no. Okay, it's just good to hear that once in a while. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Oh, okay. So that's the consequences. He lays out the rules. So every tree is available for food, normal life. One tree yields eternal life. We're gonna eat there periodically because we wanna keep living. And the more they eat off of it, the, the longer they will live. That's the way it worked in that particular setup. Or if they eat at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, we're told it's eternal death. And then Genesis 3 happens. Look at Genesis 3 real quick. Verse 6. When the woman saw 
no comment. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes. What's this tell you? That tells you that not everything is pleasant to the eyes and good for your fulfillment, quenching your personal thirst is actually good for you. Did you get that? Simple lesson. It's all good. It's all pleasant. But the difference with this tree is that we, it, it measures our trust in God. That's why as Christians, the boundaries, you put boundaries in your life and everyone starts going, legalism, legalism, legalism. No, 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 it's not legalism. No, it's, it's godly boundaries. From what you see in Scripture, what you know, you say, you know what, I have to do this. I have to create my own boundaries or I'll wander off. And I get the boundaries flex, you know, depending on where you are in life and what you're doing. It's not some, and, and your boundaries may not be your neighbor's boundary. They may have different boundaries. Obviously all in line with the purposes of God, but we know culturally things shift and change all the time. And so you got your boundaries. You need to be concerned with those boundaries for yourself. You do not fear those boundaries. Actually, you delight in them. When I drive my little car that I've rented over in Italy, around the Amalfi Coast, which bring you on the edge of thousand foot drops with, with no guardrails. And you can see where there's flowers there that somebody went over and then the friends came and put little flowers out there. So you're constantly reminded like, whoa. I almost drive in the other lane when I turn uh, corners like, you know. What happens though is when it's proven scientifically, when you put guardrails on there, people drive faster. They don't think about it. But when there's no boundaries, you think about it. So they've been thinking about this. They're like, we don't, is God really who I think he is? You know, deconstructionism. I'm going to back up here a little bit and think about who God is. You know, I haven't known him that long. I don't know how old Adam and Eve were, you know, when this all happened, but they were created as adults and they were pretty young. Like, you know, do we trust what he says? And and then something happens, and it's interesting, and it says uh, that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise. Really? Okay. So she ate of its fruit. She took the fruit, ate it. She also gave the husband, he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were open. This is, this is demonic revelation. Did you know that you can get that? You can, your eyes can open up to hell? You can open, that's why people who are strung out on drugs and, or in prison or whatever they're going through that's deeply into the things that, that were of the wrong tree, they, wait, they, they get a revelation of, of greater evil than the average person has. Once you eat of that tree, it's... You start, you do have the knowledge of good and evil. And that knowledge, they were thinking would be God-like. That's not how the devil hooked them into it. You will be like God. And he questioned what God even said. So they, they ate, and, and that was the opening of the realm of rebellion until Jesus Christ came. Now, it's interesting, later on, the Orthodox people, I love Orthodox Catholic Christianity. Uh, it's, it's like supercharged, uh, uh, supernatural Catholicism. About a thousand years ago, there was a split in the Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox. They, of course, took on a God with us kind of a mentality, less hierarchy. Uh, it, it was a looser, lighter kind of a 
Catholicism. I watch a lot of videos from them, and there there's some great leaders that have joined them, and I I just appreciate some of their thinking about this. And so as I'm as I'm running through it, I run across this in my studies that the Orthodox down through history believed that tree, which we would we would discern as probably a proper belief. The tree was a tree of eternal life, and there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there was a separation there. And they believed that the tree of life is Jesus Christ. So in your life, Jesus is your tree of life. When you eat of the Lord, and there's so many amazing verses. Let me just, because I've, I've always liked these verses that refer back to the Garden of Eden. You know, like he will make your desert into the Garden of the Lord. There's several of those. Let me see if I can pull them up here. Yeah. In Proverbs, it talks about wisdom in 3.18. It says, she is a tree, wisdom. She is a tree to those who take hold of her. So you cling to the tree of life and happy are those who retain her. So she is a tree of life, a tree of life. It's a garden-like experience when you grab on to the wisdom of God. I mean, what if? What if? Let's do a what if here. What if Adam and Eve had eaten from the tree of life nonstop? They'd still be here. They'd still be thriving. They'd still be living. Death didn't even exist at that point. Death came through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Does that mean that some people have said, oh, that's about science and knowledge? It's really not. It's about a supernatural revelation of evil that comes when you taste of the tree. Have you taken a bite of of the apple. If you have, it's opened up a whole world and all of us have because we were born into it. But through Jesus Christ and his redemptive shed Lamb of God blood coming down upon you, you now have access back into the Eden life, which is the kingdom of God. It is what Jesus talked about, where people actually love one another. The kingdom imperfection here on earth means the earth is moving in unity. It means Russia is not in Ukraine. It means there's not a tornado or a hurricane that hit Florida. I mean, and someday we will live in heaven and in the heavenly environment, which I believe is gonna be here on earth. It's recreated. It says in Revelation, it says in numerous places around. We will be living here forever and ever with a Jerusalem that is, a, that Galatians says, is from above. The Jerusalem will be here, will be rulers, reigners with the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? We ate of the good fruit of the tree of life. Proverbs 11 says this, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he who wins souls is wise. They connects the winning of souls with the tree of life. That's the bite of the apple for a Christian off the right tree, the tree of life. It says this in scripture. It says uh, uh, Proverbs uh, 13. I love this one. Uh, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when desire comes, it is a tree of life. I mean, it's amazing how many things in life, when you start picturing this as the cross and, and the devilish choices of life, this is my template for life. Almost everything you face in life is gonna have, have this and that. And what do you do when they're both beautiful? What do you do when they, you be, feel they're both gonna benefit you? You go to the deeper realm. Is this producing death or is it producing life? And you even think deeper on it. You think, I want to, because scripture is full of things like this. We are men and women of peace. I want to follow peace. A lot of decisions I make are based on peace. 
Usually in the two choices, one kind of is, I don't know, it's a risk, and should I take it? The other one's like, just this slow-moving river. And you're like, whoa, well, that feels good. And I understand there's times when you take risk, you may not totally have peace, you have a word from the Lord, though, so you're breaking through. I get that, we understand that. But in the choice of all of humanity and what we face, we go with peace, we go with peace, we go with love, we go with the fruit of the Spirit. And when you eat of the fruit of the Spirit, you will encounter the fruit of heaven because it's on the tree of life, Jesus Christ. Let's all stand together if we could. Here's what I'm going to do over the next five or six weeks, me and my trusted preaching, teaching team. We're going to touch on food events in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament. We're going to talk about the significance of that food. We're even talking about having some food, literal food we eat. You know, did you know in the first two years of this church, I had two Sundays where we served appetizers during the sermon. I was preaching on hunger, and I talked about how taste and see that the Lord is good, that God wants to quicken your appetite as you come to church, not for the food afterwards, that's fine. That's a temporal, earthly understanding. But that he might actually create hunger on your way to church gatherings on Sunday to know that a meal is being laid out in front of you. I'll never forget, we got these things from... Costco's or somewhere, Sam's Club, I don't know. These little, you know, appetizers, we hand them out. People were so shocked. They're like, oh. And we hand them down just like offering bucket. This is pre-COVID. Hand it down there and they pass this plate. People are taking, you know, their little tong there. They take their, their appetizers. They're sitting out there eating, you know, as I preach on the hunger of God. You know what it does? It does something to your mind and your soul. You begin to think different about who Jesus is what he's all about. I'm telling you, if you eat today, that's why traditionally when we take food, we give thanks to the Lord. Thanksgiving is in Romans chapter one. Did you know all the despair in society, the LBGTQ, trans, everything that you read about that you can, you can impose into Romans one. It says, because this is happening a destruction, a deterioration, an eroding of culture, regardless of what culture it is, happens when people no longer are thankful. But we're thankful by God's grace. You have food today at lunch? Just said, Jesus, I thank you so much for this meal. Lord, I thank you that you are our tree of life. And I pray, Lord, as we all face many decisions throughout every day, I ask, Lord, that our eyes will be upon you. Even though the whisper of the snake says, this will give you the knowledge of good and evil. This will transform your life. You marry this person, you'll, you're gonna love it, man. And you'll never be the same again. If it's something outside of the purposes of God, you are tasting, you are feasting, you are exampling death that will come into your life. It may not be literal death. We're all gonna die sometime though. But everything, your joy dies, your peace joy dies. Kindness leads you. You get angry. You get frustrated. You get depressed. All kinds of things can happen. Lord, let this church and let these people be trees of life everywhere they go. I pray that you become an example to those that are around you of what heaven tastes like. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com slash give.